0: So um, Judd today is going to be preaching on Acts 8, verses 9 through 25. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had mazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he might forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages.
1: Thank you, Melinda. And I guess before I get into this, I would love to tell the story of how Andrew and I's lives have intersected. Most of it you probably wouldn't believe, Um, but... Yeah, I guess I just want to say publicly thank you. And I can't tell the whole story because I'll be a sobbing mess, but thank you. Uh, Yeah, so as far as this scripture goes today, let me start by saying that the more I studied this throughout the week, when we first read through this, it seems like a fairly straightforward story about a guy who's trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. But the more I studied it, Uh, the more confused I got. I ended up walking away with more questions than answers. Uh, It's a very confusing story, the more you get into it, and the the really frustrating part is there's no conclusion to it. But I also believe that there is a very deep and a very significant meaning uh, to this story. So in chapter 8, we see Philip being one of the people that are scattered because of the persecution of the church. But they weren't just scattered. They were preaching the good news wherever they went. And it says that Philip went into Samaria to proclaim the Messiah there. Now, if you don't understand the history of Samaria, I would encourage you to, to look into that this week. But For time's sake, just know that there is this generational, deep-seated animosity between the Jews in Jerusalem and the people of Samaria. The people of Samaria were thought of as impure or half-breeds, if you will. So the fact that Philip went there is somewhat surprising. He went there not just to hide... But like I said, he went there preaching the good news. And people were being healed in the name of Jesus. And in verse 8, it says, there was great joy in the city. And then in verse 9, we pick up this story, this fascinating story. And we're introduced to this man named Simon. Simon the sorcerer. or some, some places you can see him referred to as Simon Magus, which means Simon the magician. And it says for some time he had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. So we can get from that that this, this isn't just a fad. This isn't just a flash in the pan. But this man had real authority. And it says he practiced sorcery. And by definition, sorcery is the art or the practice or spells of a person who is supposed to exercise supernatural powers... Through the aid of evil spirits, or black magic, or witchery. And when we read through the days of the early church, sorcery and, and magicians were fairly common uh, opposition to the church. And these people weren't just doing like simple card tricks, or the old, I'm going to pull my finger off kind of tricks. These people were aided by evil. They practiced Or they worked wonders and they performed healings and exorcisms and all sorts of things with astrology. But they were empowered by evil. And Simon was good at what he did. It says he amazed all the people of Samaria. Not just a few groupies and not a few wannabes. It says all the people of Samaria were amazed by him. And and as I studied him, it, it says that he had influence even as far away as Rome. Simon was a big deal, and he knew it. It says he boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. He is rightly called the great power of God. Now, they weren't calling him God but they truly believed that God's power was manifesting itself and working its way through Simon. It says they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Now when we read that, we can think, well, what were these, how did these people get fooled? What were they thinking? But I'm guilty of this. Like when I see a good card trick or a good magic trick, sleight of hand, I'm amazed by that. And the first question I always ask is probably the same question you ask. How do you do that? Can you teach me that? But as we go on, we see verse 12, there's a big word in there, but. Now, most times in Scripture when we see the word but, what comes before it is not nearly as important as what comes after it. And we'll see that again here. It says, Simon was amazing people with sorcery for a long time, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. That's awesome. So the church is persecuted in Jerusalem. They're scattered Philip goes to a place where he knows there's deep-seated animosity against him. He goes into a place that's influenced by magic and evil forces. He shares the good news of Jesus. They all believe they're baptized, even the sorcerer, and they all live happily ever after. Not so much. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and it says he followed Philip Everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And what I think is interesting that the author Luke adds this in there because I think it's our first clue that Simon doesn't really get it. I think he's more into the miracles of God than he is the God of miracles. He's amazed by the signs and the wonders. And in verse 14, we see the the news get back to the apostles in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. And they're excited. They want to see it. So they send in the A-team. They send a couple of the big guns. Peter and John head out to Samaria. And the next three verses that we read, verses 15 through 17, are very unusual. It says, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on, him, on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now I've read several theories and commentaries and the debate of what's going on here. And the more, this, the more that I study this, the more unusual it is. And the best answer that I can give you as to why this is happening is, I don't know. I don't know. If you want homework, if you can figure that out this week, please let me know. But why is it? But why is it that, I mean, it clearly happened, right? Luke explains it. So we know it happened. But why did they not receive the Holy Spirit when they believed and they were baptized? Why did they only receive it once the apostles laid their hands on them? But the one part of that story that did stick out to me, it says when Peter and John laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And I got to thinking about John and what a huge impact this had to be for him. Because if you rewind and look back into Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 51 through 55, we see this story of Jesus. And he's wanting to go into a village in Samaria. And he sends a messenger out ahead to prepare things for him. And the people of the village reject him. And in verse 54 we read, When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? This is what John thought of Samaritans. I just want to burn them up. Just eliminate them from the face of the earth now we fast forward and we see John in Samaria laying hands on people, praying for them, and they're receiving the Holy Spirit. This had to be a huge moment for John. It had to be a a huge way, a change in the way that he thought. And it's also the beginning of a shift in the way that the church operated at the time. And Peter and John weren't the only ones impressed. It says, Simon was impressed by this power, so much so that he wanted to buy it. He offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So again, this reveals to us that Simon still doesn't quite get it. He's wanting to buy the Holy Spirit. He saw this as a business opportunity. But it's not that unusual So sorcerers or magicians at the time, so if I was a sorcerer and I saw you performing a spell or a trick or whatever that I didn't know how to do or that I was impressed with, I would come to you and offer you money for you to teach me that. And so Simon's just doing what Simon knows how to do. He's just operating the way that he's always operated. And when we read that Simon is powerful and influential, successful. It can also lead us to believe that Simon was probably wealthy. If he had that much influence and could perform those kinds of acts, he would have had a lot of people offering him money. So this is nothing unusual for Simon. He's just doing what Simon knows how to do. But he's not getting the faith piece of all of this. He wants everyone he touches to receive the Holy Spirit. He mentions nothing of Jesus. He mentions nothing of faith, nothing of believing. He just wants to impress people. He just wants to awe them by his powers. So, Peter gives an answer in verse 20 that rebukes him. And this answer is straightforward, it is confusing, and it is still debated. Peter says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before the God. So if we call time out there, John 3, 16, a verse that we probably all know, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Verse 13 in Acts 8 says, Simon believed and was baptized. But now we see Peter saying, you're going to perish with your money. One thing is clear, though. This would have been powerful for Simon to hear. And Simon's heart was not right before the Lord. And in verse 22, Peter says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Those are powerful words. And in verse 24, we see Simon answer to this. He says, pray to the Lord for me so nothing that you have said Happens to me. Now we can read that answer in one of two ways. It might be that Simon was just scared of God and didn't want anything bad to happen to him. Or it might be our first view at Simon that he's now broken and he's starting to get it. Because a few verses earlier, we see this man that was described as someone great who amazed people, he had influence, they gave him their attention and they exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. And he's now pleading for Peter to pray for him. And in verse 25, the the mystery kind of continues, it says, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. So were they they proclaiming and, and testifying to just Simon? Were they doing it to everybody? And then the big question that we don't have an answer to is, what happened to Simon? We don't know. But we can read into it that whatever happened, Peter and John were encouraged. Because it says, as they returned to Jerusalem, They stopped in every village proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So as I've been through that, what do we do with it? What do we do with that story? It seems to lead to more questions than answers. It doesn't have a conclusion. There There are parts of this story that are debated that we can wrestle back and forth with. So all week I struggled with What's the point that I'm supposed to teach out of this? Is it the spiritual warfare that we need to address? Is it the influences in our lives that distract us from the Lord? Is it our need as a people, as the church, to share the gospel wherever we go? Is it our need to completely surrender to the Lord? I think the answer to all of those questions is yes. Absolutely. And as I chased ideas around in my head all week, and as I probably drove Andrew crazy as I stopped in his office time and time again trying to figure this out, I kept getting led back to the same words. Your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. I think that's the question we're supposed to ask ourselves this morning. And each one of you has to answer that for yourself. Is your heart right before the Lord? Are there things you need to repent of and pray to the Lord about? And I'm going to guess when I say that, Many of you, if not all of you, have something that came to your mind. That's the hard reality. That we all have an enemy that is working hard for us to live that way. In some ways, we all are like Simon. We're just doing what we always do. But we read here that we're supposed to repent of that that we're supposed to surrender that to the Lord, to get our hearts right before the Lord. Because we all have things we struggle with, right? That's what the enemy does. It's our thoughts, it's our fears, it's our anxieties, it's depression. We struggle at work or at home. Our family, our kids. We have money concerns, we have health concerns. There's all these things. The list can go on and on and on. And we struggle all week in our humanity trying to overcome these things. And then we show up to church on Sunday morning and walk in the door and we say, How are you? And you say, Oh, I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm great too. Why? Why do we do that? Because when we read the book of Acts and we see the early church, these people are broken. They don't have it figured out. It says they're persecuted, they're scattered, they're troubled. Now granted, in America, we don't feel persecuted because of our faith. But when you talk about persecution and feeling scattered and feeling troubled, there's many people, if not all of us in this room, that there's a place in our heart that feels that way. But we also see when we read the book of Acts that the church, it says they preached the gospel, they shared the gospel wherever they went. It says they met together. It says they broke bread together. And they prayed together. And there was joy in the city. How many of us here today are craving more joy for ourselves or for our cities? So I feel that's what the Lord's calling us into today. And that's not easy. That whatever is not of him that we carried in with us this morning, we're not supposed to leave with it. We're supposed to surrender it and leave it here. And so there will be people down front after the service that are willing to pray with you or for you. And some of you won't want to come down front. Because then you'll feel like you're, you're the one with the problem. We all have them. Have a friend pray with you. Pray together as a family. If you feel led to pray for somebody across the room, make sure you grab them before they leave. Because the hard reality is, in our humanity, we have no chance against the power of hell. But when we can surrender those things, when we can pray in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name which every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, that's when chains start to get broken. So when I tell you I struggled with the approach to this message this week, it's because it's uncomfortable. I don't like standing up here and, and poking at people's vulnerable places because it pokes at mine too. We don't like that. I don't like that. And you can ask my family. I haven't, uh, I haven't been a lot of fun to be around this week. But I read a quote by a man named Billy Sunday that kind of inspired me to poke. Billy Sunday, if you've never heard of him, he was actually born in Ames, Iowa, but he was a professional baseball player in the late 1800s, and he gave up what then was a very lucrative baseball career to become one of the most prevalent evangelists in America in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and what Billy Sunday said was, I'm often accused of rubbing the fur the wrong way. So as you know, if you take a cat and you rub its fur against the way the hair is laid, it's it's uncomfortable. It's irritating. It's painful. He said, I'm often accused of rubbing the fur the wrong way. But he says, what I do is I share the gospel truth of the Lord. It's up for the cat to turn around. It's up to us to repent. It's up to us to pray to the Lord. So if there's anything that is just feeling rubbed the wrong way this morning, feeling irritated or uncomfortable, leave it here. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that we can come together as a body of believers in our imperfections, in our flaws and we can lay it all at the foot of the cross because Jesus has already paid the price. But yet somehow we let our pride or whatever other adjective you want to throw in there, we let that get in the way. We think we're the only ones. But it's my prayer this morning that by the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, people, this body of people, would leave those things here. That we would leave this place different than when we walked in that we could be like that early church that proclaimed the name of Jesus wherever we go, that we meet together, that we pray together, and there's joy, joy in our hearts and joy in our city. And let us not fool ourselves anymore that we can do it on our own. We need you. We need you. Let this day be a day of surrender, a day of repentance. We give it all to you, and we give it all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.